You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. But this morning, we get to welcome our other campuses who are joining us live this morning. Can we go ahead and welcome East Lincoln and Statesville that are joining us as we have a guest speaker this morning. It's truly my privilege and honor to introduce my friend to you. I was thinking about having Randy come. You know, there was a day when Randy and I were the young leaders invited to the table. And now I have gray hair here because of you. Um, and now Randy's the president of our church family. It's amazing how fast the years have gone. For years I've had just the privilege of not only watching Randy, watching his life, um, an exceptional leader, leads out of humility, a passion for Jesus, um, truly has a shepherd's heart. Um, this past May of 2020, he was elected to serve as the president of our church family, of the Foursquare family, uh, and has started off in a phenomenal way, really bringing our family back to prayer and discipleship. Like, what's the foundation of the church? I think it's prayer and discipleship. So I've so appreciated this first season of his leadership, and I am delighted to be able to follow such a man of God and to have a man of God leading our church family, such as... Um, Pastor Randy Remington, he and his wife Sandy have been married 32 years, have three adult children, they have pastored three congregations all on the West Coast, thriving um, congregation, impacting their community. He is a phenomenal leader, and today we are blessed to receive the word from Pastor Randy Remington. Would you give him a Grace Covenant welcome, a warm welcome as he comes this morning? COVID appropriate. So, good morning. This is a joy to be with you, and uh, I've been looking forward to it. As Farrell said, we uh, were on opposite ends of the continental U.S. here, and so I was in Portland, Oregon, and he's obviously here on this Atlantic side, and so from a distance. We've had a friendship that has mostly been admiring people from a distance, and, and uh, I've always had high um, esteem and respect for, for Pastor Farrell, and this isn't now he said something nice about me, so I have to say something nice about him. It kind of feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Like, okay, what should I say? Uh, but it's easy to say a few words like this because um, I have the privilege of working and getting to be with a lot of pastors. And leaders, and um, there's something about the ability to trust somebody when you know they are who they appear to be, um, who they present themselves to be as who they really are, and that inward life of that person matches their outward expression. That's a congruent life, or that's an integrous life. And so, one of the things I've always appreciated about Farrell is the integrity of his life. Um, the consistency, you can sample his life in any context or any setting, and it's the same story. He is who he appears to be. He's authentic and humble and loves Jesus. Um, but when he talks about his ministry, it's not about the platform. It's not about his preaching. It's about you, um, his heart for the people that he gets to serve and the communities he gets to serve. And so that's the greatest indication of somebody who doesn't just have a job or a vocation, but has an assignment that they have given themselves to. And so I know he also gets to go drive a tractor, split some wood, and shoot a deer now and then, and that always helps 
so we we do get to talk hunting stories. I'm from Wyoming, and so we uh, have some some common background there. So, well, thank you for letting me be with you uh, this morning. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to the Book of Philippians, chapter four. Philippians chapter four. I know Pharaoh is a brilliant teacher, studies hard, can take the complex mysteries of the gospel and the scriptures and make them understandable and unpack revelation. He knows who the Antichrist is. Ask him. He's got it all figured out. um, So I'm going to leave the heavy lifting to him, and I'm going to go for some low-hanging fruit this morning. I'm going to go for a passage of scripture that I think is always relevant, but maybe even more so in the day that we live and all the challenges that we are facing, the, um, the external that can have an effect on the internal life. Um, but there's something that the scripture promises us as a way that we can live our lives and, and in which we can live our lives that is this inward life that counteracts the pressure, equalizes the external pressures that we face in the world that that we can live um, trans-circumstantially. That, that means that we live a life that's not dictated to us or conditional upon the happenings of our life or the circumstances of our life. Our life is sourced and rooted in something beyond this world. And so we have then the opportunity to bring something different to the world. We're not just those who react and respond to the events of the world around us, but we are people who are those who are sent forth and we bring and manifest a greater reality than even the reality around us, and that's the kingdom of God. And so we're kingdom people because we have a king sitting upon a throne, um, enthroned in our heart and our life, and his name is Jesus. And so that is the basis for the sourcing of who we are and our identity, but also the life by which we draw from and live out of. And in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And, and let me say this again, rejoice. So apparently, he needed to restate something, be redundant intentionally. Rejoice in the Lord, and, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, can you just say peace of God with me? Peace of God. That transcends all understanding, which it makes no sense. You can't figure it out logically. It doesn't rationally equate um, that you should have what you have based on what you're going through. So it goes beyond your ability to even really humanly comprehend it. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... If anything is excellent or worthy of praise, think about these things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace. Can you say God of peace? The God of peace will be with you. The peace of God and the God of peace. Imagine how much peace God has right now. Imagine if you were, were God. Um, 
I mean, that's, we're not probably supposed to imagine that, but try to imagine if you're God. Um, you're in complete control. You, you are never surprised. You are never caught off guard by anything. You, you don't think of things you've never thought of before. You don't like, hey, you know what just occurred to me? You know, God never has a thought that he, it's kind of like I've never thought of that before. He knows all things and he never has to learn anything. He's completely at rest. He's not driven. He's not pushed. Um, not under threat. Not under duress. Never stressed out. Never worried about the future. Imagine that kind of peace. The God of peace will be with you. And the peace of God will protect you. How many of you have ever just reached a point in your life where you're like, I have just had too much peace? That's it's like, that, I just can't take it anymore. If I just have any more peace, I'm about to. Um, I just had so much peace last night, I could hardly sleep. I just could, I could hardly really go to sleep. And this peace is killing me. It's like, if there's anything, it seems like peace is an elusive commodity. Um, it seems like it's in short supply today. Yet we have a promise offered to us not only in this passage of scripture, but you can read several times in the Gospels where Jesus himself will say, my peace I leave with you. And it's not a peace that the world offers you. You can't discover it and find it outside of who Jesus is. It belongs to him. It's who he is. And so my question is, is this a promise that is just sent out there to kind of frustrate us? Is it elusive and unattainable? And it always leaves us in this perpetual state of never quite attaining it? Or is this something we can truly live in it? Is it truly possible that we could be people of peace, that wherever we go, we are blessed because we are the peacemakers? We make for peace. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The Ephesians says our feet are shod with the gospel of peace, that, that where we go, peace goes. Is that the hallmark and the characteristic of the people of God? Is that the characteristic of my life? Is that possible? Or is this just something that's really unattainable and out there? But this promise that we have in this scripture is that this divine, trans-circumstantial, supernatural peace can be ours. And the reason it can be ours is because it's God's peace, and he promises to be with us and in us. And the thing that I want you to see this morning that's a little different is that I think one of the most countercultural ways we can live our lives today is to be people of peace. It's a manifestation, actually, of the kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 9 says, And the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. So wherever Jesus is Lord... Wherever he is enthroned, wherever in our lives we're submitted to the rulership of Jesus and he's governing there, the manifestation of that will be righteousness and peace. But out of this life of surrender and submission to the life of Jesus will be this manifestation of his peace. And so that's different then the world that we're living in today that's full of acrimony and discord and um, being divided and um, polarized and, and um, moving away from each other instead of towards one another. And so 
what does the world see when the world looks at us? And one of the hallmarks is that there would be this unexplainable peaceableness to our lives. Not because there's an absence of conflict or stress, but because of the presence of Jesus who is enthroned and Lord of our lives. He's governing my life. And so wherever I'm fearful or anxious, it's the potential that that's not an area of my life that's fully surrendered or submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Because of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. But God's peace in this passage, and this is what I want to get to, and maybe you've never thought of it like this, but God's peace is one of the weapons in his arsenal that he protects us with. That God protects you with his peace. His peace will guard, will literally, the idea in the original language the Bible was written is that it would be like this impenetrable fortress about your mind and your heart. That God will protect you in your heart and he will protect you in your mind with his peace. And this is one of the ways that God will work in our lives. And so I want you to look at the text this morning. I want us to work through this real quick in the few minutes we have left because I want us to see some potential for us to experience and walk in and not just be those who point to something that's unattainable, but that we could attain it, we could live it. And how many would you agree that peace is something you really know when you have it and you know when you don't? Um, that's why I was speaking peace over all these parents. I remember that season of life. James and John. I wonder if they know those are the sons of thunder, right? That's a, that's a, I'm not going to say that's prophetic. I'm just simply saying it's just is what it is. Uh, but if you look back in our text, we pick up where the scripture says in verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Do you know that Kindle, the online version of the Bible, um, and then the U version Bible app, the two most online sourcing of scripture, they, they track every time a verse is highlighted or underlined. And Kindle would tell us, Amazon would tell us that on all of online Bible reading, the U version app would tell us the same thing, that the most highlighted underlined verse in the Bible is that verse right there. Don't be anxious about anything. That's actually, it's a, it's a command. It's actually like, don't. Um, we're actually told not to be anxious about anything. Do you know what Amazon says is the most highlighted passage in all of online literature right now? It comes from the second book of the Hunger Games series. And it's this statement, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. It's the most underlined sentence in all of online literature for, as Kendall tells us sometimes stuff happens to us it's beyond our control we are victims of our circumstances and the most highlighted promise in all of online scripture is this I don't have to be anxious I don't have to be given to fear I don't have to be driven by depression or anxiety or darkness and so is it possible could it be normative that we could live with this equalizing internal peace. And so when you look at the promise that Jesus gave, and we look at the promise that Paul gave, that it's something that is possible for us. And that's what I want to encourage us in. And I do want to say, when we speak about anxiousness, I'm, I'm talking about differentiating between mental health and mental illness. 
I want to acknowledge that there are actual anxiety disorders and other physical-related issues that, that I am not minimizing. And sometimes in the church we have stigmatized people who have wrestled with those issues instead of it being a place where people could raise their hand and get prayer and help and ministry and encouragement and direction just like they could any other area of brokenness or hurt or pain in our lives in any way that we're in process. But I just want to talk about just this kind of general sense of just this chronic pressing that the enemy wants to amplify and bring despairing and discouragement and possibly even fear in our lives and how that can be counteracted with the peace of God. In Philippians for the section that we read there, there are these prerequisites to this promise. And I just want to look at these real quick. It's almost like this is possible, but here's where I'm going to ask you to choose some things. Because the greatest fundamental human freedom there is, is your ability to choose. And I can't choose a lot of what happens to me in life. I didn't choose my family of origin. I didn't necessarily choose who's going to be president. I didn't get to choose. Well, maybe you did. That wasn't your choice. I don't know. I, that's, I, you, I, I'm correcting myself as I'm saying that. You did choose. You, you chose to cast a vote. Uh, let's move on. Um, the, I mean, you, you, you didn't choose to um, live in a time where there's a pandemic. So much out of our control. But you can choose according to the scripture, in any given situation, to obey God or not. You can choose how you respond to things. That is the greatest human... You, you study people like Viktor Frankl, who survived the Holocaust and studied those who endured and those who gave over to despair. He said, in the end, it was people who chose to respond differently than how they were being treated. They refused to become the evil that was being done to them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I, I, I'm not going to treat you like you treat me. I don't have to respond only what I see in the natural. I can respond based on the promises of God and the faithfulness of God and the presence of God, of who God is in any given situation. So this is in essence what Paul is saying. Whenever you're about to be anxious, I want you to do this instead. Be anxious for nothing, but instead, this is going to be in every circumstance. You fill in the blank. Whenever my roommate acts like this, or whenever my boss did that, or whenever I, my bank account is at this, just in any situation. So every situation this applies. Whenever you're about to experience this, here's what I want you to do instead. Here's some choices I want you to make. So if you choose this, it's almost like this becomes the gateway into the reality of the peace of God being manifest in our lives. And so you have a choice. And here's the first choice. I want you to magnify God. The minute you start to feel like your heart is overwhelmed, because what did David pray? Well, David prayed, when my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock that is the higher than I. Um, heaven and earth may fail, but God is the strength in my heart and my portion forever. This constant reminder that he's my glory and he's the lifter of my head. Where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from the mountains. My help comes from the maker of the heavens and earth. So I lift my eyes up to the place where my help comes from. It's this refocusing, this magnifying, rejoice in the Lord always. And let me say it again, rejoice what are you magnifying? Because it's not just rejoicing in your circumstances, it's rejoicing in 
the Lord. So the focus is, so the opposite of joy, because rejoicing is to be joyful again and again and again, to rejoy, rejoy. The opposite of joy is not um, sadness. Oftentimes we think, well, if you're not joyful, you're sad. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. It's, it's despair. And with God, we are never without hope. Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I am never without hope. So think about the person writing this letter. The Apostle Paul sitting in a prison cell in Rome. And he's writing a letter to us. Now, aren't you supposed to write letters to people in prison and say, hey, keep, keep your hope up? The guy in prison is writing to us. Because whenever we hear verses like this, don't be anxious for anything, don't worry. Jesus told us not to worry. Paul said, don't be anxious. So the two people who literally said, don't worry and don't be anxious, we're not going to top their stories. Because immediately when someone says something like that, we want to qualify with our circumstances. Well, you don't understand. Don't worry. Well, you don't understand, my son. You don't understand my... We don't do that with other commands in the scripture. Do not murder. Really? You want me to go my whole life? And not... You know, it's like, don't worry. Really? You really want me to try to... There's this idea that the person who is sitting in a prison cell who should succumb to fear or doubt or discouragement or even depression is the one saying, these prison bars don't limit Jesus. And even in this prison cell, I see the one who is high and lifted up. And so we look to Jesus. And why do you think we sing when we begin? We sing for a number of reasons. And didn't you love our youth worship team leading us this morning and their hearts to lift up Jesus? And that was worth the plane ticket just to come and worship with them this morning and you. And, uh, but to come to this moment and why do we sing? Is it because it's the precursor to the real important thing we're going to have study the Bible, which is valuable and obviously significant? There's something about when we sing together that we're, we're basically saying to one another, because the scripture says sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It doesn't mean we literally like sing to each other, because that'd be creepy and nobody'd come back. But, but it's like, but when we're singing, it's like we're not only putting our focus, but we're saying to those around us, and we don't know what the person next to us is in the middle of or what they're going through. We're saying to them, put your hope in God. Let's, let's trust God together. Let's see how big he is. Let's magnify once again his power, his goodness, his faithfulness, his truth. His, let, let's magnify that over our circumstances. And so one of the things that uh, researchers tell us is that the number one reason for depression, they say, is preoccupation with ourselves. And when my magnifying God and rejoicing in the Lord, it interrupts this preoccupation with me and it reminds me again of the God that I serve, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. Why is that? Because I say it enough or because of whom I'm putting my faith and putting my trust. And so I reframe all of my circumstances in light of the bigness and the goodness of God because praise will always shift the focus. Takes it off of me. Takes it off of my circumstances. And it puts God at the center of things once again. And so without God, it's just me against my circumstances. But with God, I can face anything. I remind myself when I sing, when I give voice to, when I rejoice, when I praise. And so 
the devil wants to come along and his job is not to try to get you to do bad things. His job isn't to try to get you to break the rules. The devil's job is to get you to take your eyes off of Jesus. Because if he can get you, don't look to God, look to the tree. In that fruit, look there. Because if he can get us to take us, our eyes off of Jesus, he can direct us, he can tempt us. You know, the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 6, Jesus quoted this at the beginning of his earthly ministry when he unrolled the scroll in the synagogue. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the captive and comfort those who mourn and provide for those who grieve and provide a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now listen to this. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. Do you know why it's called a garment of praise? Because you have to put it on. Paul said in Colossians, cloak yourself with humility. There's like two things to put on every day. God gives grace to the humble. I put on humility and I put on praise. I, I, I wear it as a garment. And, and when it says, instead of a spirit of heaviness and despairing heaviness, fear. The scripture says those are like a spirit come to attack you. I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. not given you a spirit of heaviness but a garment of praise. The devil cannot minister his discouragement and fear where Jesus is enthroned. And whenever we praise and we magnify Jesus, it's it's warfare. It's pushing back against the darkness. That's why when you talk to the old timers, they'll say things like this, we just prayed through till the peace came. We just took that posture and I just sang my way through. You look at the scriptures, Christians have always sung their way through in the face of battle, in the prison cell, in the middle of the night, wandering in the desert. We are a singing people. And we magnify the one who has called us out of darkness. Sing forth the praises of the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. A number of years ago, Northwestern University um, did a study on Olympic medalists. And they found something really interesting. That Do you know the most frustrated, disappointed medalists in the Olympics were silver medalists? Because all they could think about was, I was that close. Just that close. Do you know who the happiest were? The bronze medalists. Because they were like, I almost got nothing. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm happy to be here. (laughs) You know, it's just a... It's just a matter of perspective. So literally their conclusion was that it's where your focus is. It determines your attitude. It determines so much as where have I put my focus. And now just real quickly, let me just touch on these next three. Magnify God. Rejoice in the Lord always. The second thing is pray your emotions. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. If, if praise shifts the focus, prayer shifts the burden. Cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. If I, don't not, if I do not believe that God is a loving father and cares about my life, I'm not going to pray. And this is what Paul is saying. I don't want you just to pray, but, but we're managing emotional pain here. It's not just about telling God what I need, but Paul's getting at something here. He's saying, you tell God how you feel. And it's kind of like, here's the issue, but what's underneath the issue? Go there. 
present your requests to God. It's the same word that's used when the shepherd said, let's go and see what the angels presented to us. There's something that everyone else sees and there's something now we see because it's really the true story going on here. I had a son, my oldest son, who went through a season of struggling with his faith. Pastor, I discipled my sons, and to have my son in the middle of his sophomore year in college say, Dad, I'm struggling to believe. I want to believe. Going through a journey of seeing him deconstruct his faith. And thankfully, a number of years later, five years later, coming out the other side of reconstructing a solid faith, it was a journey. Intellectual objections, struggled with the scripture and doubts, how he was raised his whole life, not because faith was inconvenient and he wanted to live differently, he just truly was struggling. And I remember one night in the middle of that, I was praying in the middle of the night, just, just tears in my couch, just contending like, God, this is not okay. You thought that widow at midnight was messing with that judge. I'm going to give you no rest. You know, I'm going to. And God said to me, what, what's, what are you really afraid of? I said, I'm afraid that I'm going to look like a failure as a pastor. I'm afraid my son's not going to know you, Jesus. Don't want him to live a godless life. I'm afraid that my grandchildren in the future will not know you. It was like God said, what's really beneath that? This is what I'm contending for. God, open my son's eyes, reveal Jesus to him, draw him back to yourself, Lord. And God's saying, what's really going on? I'm scared. I'm scared he's not going to know you. Everything that was the most important thing to me to bequeath to my son, the only thing that mattered to me. And it's not happening. See, go there. When I took that and presented it to the Lord, God spoke something to me of a promise, and his peace came. And from that point on, the journey of walking with my son went from anxiousness and fear to one of peace and confidence and expectation. Nothing changed circumstantially. But something changed in here. And this is what Paul is saying. Present your request to God. You have a God who listens to you. A God who hears you. When I was a 27-year-old senior pastor, pastoring my first church, people would come to me and they'd pour out their problems and stories and I thought I had to have profound things to say to them, but they'd just pour out their problems and I'd look at them and like, well, good luck with all that. You know, like, I, I don't know. Um, and one of the things I discovered is that sometimes when somebody just listens, there's something profoundly therapeutic just about somebody who just listens and hears you. You have a God who listens to you. Present your request to God and then the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The third thing is, think about what you think about. And he says, whatever is noble, whatever is of a good report, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, think on these things. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, think on negative stuff. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, if anything is bad or corrupt or miserable or hopeless or futile, think about those things. No, it says, you can think about what you think about. You have the potential. How many of you ever just have driven yourself just exa to exhaustion at night, laying in bed trying to reason your way through to something? 
Instead of that place of my mind being set on God and that mindset of peace that you will keep in perfect peace whose minds are kept on you because they trust you, Isaiah 26 says, isn't most of what drives anxiety that which is not true? Or that which could happen, but isn't necessarily something that has happened? The scripture says you have the power to think about what you think about. The devil will try to destroy your mind and rest and peace of mind through endless reasoning. And this is a peace that says that we can be at rest. And then the last thing is seek righteousness. If you were to read in um, the first few verses of verses 1, 2, and 3, we started reading at verse 4, Paul's addressing conflict in the church. He, he calls out two individuals by name and then this is a circulated letter how'd you like that you know it's like you're listening oh paul's writing the first three chapters awesome awesome and then he names me and that's going to get read everywhere and he's saying there's discord there's conflict and so sometimes where there's no peace it's because there's something that's not reconciled so as much as it's possible romans 12 says as much as it depends on you live at peace with all people, maintain unity in the bond of peace. So where do I need to reconcile? As much as is possible, as much as you can contribute to it. You're only accountable for you. Have you written the letter? Have you made the phone call? Have you had the cup of coffee across the table and, and had the hard conversation heart to heart with the idea that we're not going to suddenly prove me right as much as we're going to make this relationship right? And then there's the issue of, with God, repentance that leads us to a righteousness that's in Jesus Christ, that to be reconciled with God through Christ, there's no peace for the wicked. Peace is actually the fruit of righteousness. There cannot be peace. There can be ceasefires. There can be truces. There can be kind of step back and negotiated Circumstances, but there cannot be peace until things are made right. We had no peace with God until Jesus went to the cross and made the two one, an unholy man and a holy God. Through his death, he reconciled us together and made peace. And I want you to bow your head with me, if you would. And I want to ask you to engage in a few decisions this week. Whenever your heart is about to be overwhelmed or whenever you're feeling anxiousness starting to rise and discouragement or despair setting in, when that's about to happen, can I encourage you to make this decision? Would you take the posture of praise? Would you make sure that there's areas of your life that are submitted to the lordship of Jesus? Is is he ruling and reigning in that area of your life? Are you truly submitted that area of your life to Jesus? Would you take that request and present it with thanksgiving to God? God, I thank you that you're a loving God, that you know me by name, that you care about my life. You care about this thing that I'm experiencing and this need that I have, but... You care about the things that are swirling around in my heart and private thoughts and the depths of my own heart that even no one else can see. You care about that. And I want to present that to you. God, I set my mind on things above. 
I set my mind on the things that are true and life-giving. And God, I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus that cleanses from unrighteousness and makes me as one who can stand holy and without blame in your sight and makes it possible for me to be a maker of peace with others, that I'm never more like you than when I'm making for peace for Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. God, I speak your peace over marriages. I speak your peace over those whose hearts are truly troubled about the future. Anxious about things that are beyond their ability to be certain about. Shalom. Jesus, bind together that which is fragmenting and being pulled apart. God, may they walk out of this room not because circumstances have changed, but because their focus is once again, and their trust is once again, and the place of provision is once again resourced and found and sourced in you alone. And may we go out of here today with a peace that we can't explain. It goes beyond our ability to really even explain it. But it's there. May we know, experience, and walk in your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Randy. Isn't that a good word to know that in the craziness of the times that we live in and all of the tensions that's playing out, that there's a peace that we can live with. The peace of God that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's so good. I think I'm going to come back next service and listen again. Would you join me in saying thanks to Pastor Randy and our other church family, our campuses? For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.